Well, I, I don't know how many of you were uh, conceived by a miracle, which was announced by an angel, uh, but that's how John the Baptist's story began. Just clear up, I think you're like, that happened to you? It didn't happen to me. But that's what happened to John the Baptist. An angel came and told his father that he was going to, be con- he was going to conceive a son. Uh, it was a miracle of God. And then when he was born, his father was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what he prophesied. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he's visited and redeemed his people, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's fair to say that John was brought up with high expectations. I don't know if you maybe felt that your parents were just aiming a little high for you, but these were were the expectations John uh, was brought up with. And because this was a thing of God, it came to pass. And and John's job was basically to be the herald uh, of the fulfilment of God's ancient promises to rescue his people. People of Israel, they'd lived this expectation for centuries that God would one day rescue them and, and set them apart again as they always were meant to be. And they were at this time living under Roman occupation and the Romans were using this kind of wicked and godless king called Herod to kind of uh, be involved in making it happen. And so they were just yearning for freedom and hoping that God would bring breakthrough. And now suddenly it seemed that moment had arrived and it was John's job to say, yes, the moment has arrived. And his entire life was, was preparation. He spent 29 years uh, learning God's ways and God's word, aware of the one who he was going to announce as the, the fulfillment of all of this was his, his cousin, Jesus. And then comes into adulthood, God takes him into the wilderness and speaks to him directly. And this has just not happened to God's people for 400 years. Can imagine God not having spoken to, to anyone since like 1620. That's how long ago, that, that's the kind of gap God's people have been living with. And suddenly God has spoken and he's spoken through John. And so John begins to preach the message that the time has come. The long-awaited Messiah, the rescuer, the King of Israel is here. And people to flood to hear this message. They're absolutely thrilled to know that, yes, God is finally doing what he's promised. And wow, John's preaching. And we, we listen to him and we, it's amazing. And he says, you need to repent and get baptized. And they're like, yeah, we'll do that. And so thousands of them are getting baptized uh, in the River Jordan. He, you know, he's like the most famous man in the land. And then the day comes when he sees Jesus. And Guy read that passage earlier. And he sees Jesus, he says, behold, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's him. He's here. And John is the one who baptizes Jesus. He can barely believe he's doing it, but he is. And he baptizes Jesus and brings him out of the water. And then he sees the Holy Spirit fall on Jesus and remain on him. And he hears the voice of God speak to Jesus that Jesus is God's beloved son with whom he's well pleased. John is right there. He's the man right there. A few weeks later, Jesus launches his own public ministry and he reads from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And John will have known these words and lived with them all his life. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. It has arrived. The moment is here. God is going to do all that he promised to do. And John is right there watching it all happen. And then he is arrested and thrown into prison. Because he challenges King Herod and Herod's not having it. And so he throws him into prison. And in prison is where he stays. As Jesus goes around the country proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom of God. And that's why when we read in Luke chapter 7, which we're just about to, just after Jesus has healed one man without even being in the same place as this guy, and then he's raised another from the dead at the person's funeral, John sends a message to Jesus saying, are you the Messiah? And you're like, what? Is Jesus the Messiah? John, your job, your job was to say, here he is, and now you're saying, is it you? It can just seem an extraordinary question to us. We're Christians, so we kind of, you know, many of us here are Christians, and even if you're not, you know the story, you know that Jesus is the one. So why would you ask this question? Well, if you're sitting in prison at the time that Jesus is going around saying, I've come to set the captives free, you might think, well, is that, is that really happening? What about liberty for the captives? What about being saved from our enemies? Like John's dad had prophesied that God would do all those years ago. Why isn't the sunrise giving light in the darkness of John's cell? Let's just read Luke 7, verses 8 to 23, just to, to hear it in the words God gave to us. So Luke describes amazing miracle, amazing miracle, amazing miracle. And then says, the disciples of John reported all these things to John. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist, you remember that guy, has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good, good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. This is a very deep conversation with the king uh, that we're looking at this evening. And there were many things that made John the Baptist unique, but experiencing suffering and disappointment was not one of those things. All of us will go through times in our life when Jesus just, he just doesn't do what we expect. He doesn't do what we want. He doesn't do what we're hoping for. Now, sometimes when that happens, we see very quickly afterwards how God had another plan instead. And he was working, God was working for our good. And you're like, this is amazing because I went through this thing, it was a bit tough, uh, but I realized I needed to become less proud than I was uh, or uh, less selfish or whatever. Oh, how wonderful. Or uh, we went for something, it didn't happen, and then something better came along instead. We're like, oh, yes, this is what God was doing all along. How wonderful. He had a better plan than the plan I would have come up with. He's so good like that. 
But not everything that you experience in this life will be able to be explained in those kind of categories. You won't be able to understand some of the things that happen in your life. And you will then have to have a conversation with the king about that. And that's what we're looking at uh, tonight. I, I want to help you with that. I feel like we've, I've gone through a series, of, a period of years really where I've, a lot of these kind of things have been happening in my life. Um, two and a half years since my dad uh, very suddenly died. I still miss him all the time. Uh, a whole bunch of other things happening during that time. Just hard, hard things. And, and things that you're not like, well, this thing happened, so that thing happened. You see, happy ending right there. Um, hard, difficult, unexplained things. And just less personally, but one of the charities that Deb and I give to, uh, it's called Open Doors. It works with persecuted Christians around the world. And, and when you give to charities like that, they let you know what's going on. And they just tell you again and again and again of suffering uh, that people are going through around the world because of their faith in Jesus. And these kind of things can lead people to ask the kind of questions that John asks here. Are you the one who is to come? Should we look for another? Why have you let this happen if you are who you say you are? Now, there's a lot that can be said about this and far more than we've got time for tonight. We're going to just look at this interaction between John and Jesus. But I hope that God will start something in your heart, prepare you uh, for uh, this if this is to come and give you comfort if you're in the middle of it right now. Why don't we pray quickly together? Lord, would you do that? For us, please, Lord God, some of us here are in the midst of this kind of suffering. We feel we're in a prison cell. Why is this happening? What's going on? Where is Jesus? Others of us, it's coming. Uh, Sooner or later, it's coming. And so, Lord, I pray that your grace would be for every person here this evening. That we might have these kind of conversations with you and come through them in the way that you intend for us. Help us to do that. Tonight, even now, God, would you give us gifts of faith? Amen. Amen. So I just want us to look at just three parts of this conversation and see what's going on. And, and the first is, is what John does, and it is that he tells God how he's feeling. He, you know, he goes to Jesus and says, what is up with this? And Jesus does not rebuke him. Jesus doesn't say, I'm God, how dare you ask me this kind of question? Nothing like that happens at all. They were part of a tradition that expected this kind of honesty with God. I just read a psalm out earlier. It was all about how wonderful God is and how great he is. And we love those psalms. A third of the psalms are people going, why is this happening? What is going on? Psalm 142 um, starts like this. It says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. So you, that, this is what John does. He's, he's in this tradition that the, the Bible taught him to do, is to go to God, not just with praise, but with agony, with suffering, with confusion, with misery, with difficulty. And, and when we experience these times, we can be tempted to go to other places. We tend to go to other people for a variety of reasons. One of them might think, oh, I can't go to God because I'm struggling and, 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 and so I'm not supposed to talk with God like that. I'm only supposed to be really happy when I speak to him, which is obviously nonsense because he knows everything anyway. Um, but we can kind of think that, so that stops us going to him. We can sometimes feel like, well, no one else is experiencing what I'm experiencing um, until, I, oh, I found someone online who was, and wow, that's a really powerful story of how they stopped becoming a Christian. Oh, that's helpful. Um, or those kind of things. I want to encourage you, in these moments, go to God. 
Go to God. Go, do what John said. To go, I, can't, I, can't, I think you're where I should go, John's saying, and I'm going to go to you. Go to God in prayer. Tell him what has happened. Tell him how you are feeling about it. Go to God through his word. This is how you then hear back from God. You, you can sometimes sit there and go, God, I just want you to say something. I just want you to say something. And sometimes he does. But usually he's kind of, he, the way I find God opens his mouth most open is when I open his word. And, and even like I've said, these Psalms that speak of his, that speak of human kind of confusion and suffering and misery, they're there for you to give words to what you are experiencing, to give uh, company to what you're experiencing and to give shape to what you're experiencing because they do go to God and they do speak honestly and they do pour out a complaint and a lament, but they don't stay there. And that's what's really helpful about them because they, they help us realise, yes, God understands and we can acknowledge these things, but they then take us somewhere, which is what we need. And you can also come to God through his people. So again, I sat there and I was like, oh, I'm just by myself. God, please speak to me. If only you speak to me. Oh, he's not speaking to me. And yet you know Christians. Now, that's true for every one of you here because uh, there are others that they're right here. Um, and you know others as well. And these are ways in which God wants to speak to us where we come to people who we know and trust. Say, this is what's going on. As they put their arm around us, as they uh, give us their ears, they give us their tears sometimes even. This is part of how we go to God, is that we go to his people, we go to his word, we go to him in prayer. So when these things happen, we are to follow this pattern of going to God. The next thing, and the way that Jesus immediately responds, is to say, he doesn't say, How, John, what are you doing? Uh, and he doesn't say, well, John, I've got three, three reasons for what's happening to you right now. And here they are. And amazingly, they all start with the same letter. Um, he doesn't do that. We don't, and, uh, we don't always get told why things happen. Instead, Jesus says to John's disciples, look around. Look what's happening. Look what's going on. And he refers John to the things that he's doing, which they both knew were the signs that pointed to the coming of the kingdom of God. He's saying, look, John, blind people are seeing. Look, John, dead people are being raised up. Look, John, the poor are having the good news preached to them. It's like he's saying, it's happening, John. It's really happening. It's not quite happening exactly for you how you thought it would. But I'm telling you, John, it's happening. One of the things we have to do in these moments is, is to look around and this can seem, like, if you're in the midst of this, it can seem like the worst advice. You're like, so when I'm having a bad time, what you're saying is, look at those other people who are having a great time. <laughs> like, is that your advice? That sounds like terrible advice. Well, I mean, if someone's once said, comparison is the thief of joy. So this can, I mean, this can sound like bad advice when you're having a great day. Because, oh, I'd look around just to kind of lower my levels. No, if we can look with eyes of faith, we won't just see someone being blessed. We will see the God who blesses them. And we'll realize that, oh yeah, yeah, he is good. He's good all the time. He's being very evidently good to them and them and them and them and them and them. And therefore I presume and hope that he will continue to be good to me as well. Now this is tricky because it's a classic enemy trick and tactic to make you look at someone else and then lie to you. Say, look, he's blessing them. And you know why he's not blessing you right now? Because he loves them and he hates you. 
So this is a difficult thing um, to kind of say to you, but when you hear how someone has intervened wonderfully uh, or has had God intervene wonderfully in their life, you, are, you can't. There are multiple options available to you. It can feel like when times are rough, the only options are negative. You're going to be like jealous. It's unfair. How has happened to them and not me? You're going to be like kind of cynically bitter. You're like, well, they're having a good day now, but you wait till tomorrow. Oh, God's given them a spouse, hey? Huh, you just wait. God's given them a really big house, hey? Oh, they're going to have this. God's given them a first, hey? Well, just think how that's going. All of those things, you can just be like, something else will happen later. And that kind of makes you feel better about it. Or you can respond with fear, which is, what am I not doing? That may God's treat, makes God treat them like that, and he's treating me like this. All of those are negative responses that the enemy wants you to get confused by and think about. Or, when you see the goodness of God in someone else's life, you can say, yes, God is really like that. He is really good. And I've experienced times like that, and I hope I will again. We are told to rejoice with those who rejoice. And I think part of the reason of that is because rejoicing isn't just like, oh, it's good to feel happy. It's because it makes us realize how good God is. So I'd want to encourage you to ask God to give you eyes of faith, to see what he's doing, and to believe in his goodness. And then the last thing Jesus says to John is really, it's really interesting, isn't it? Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Because I don't know if you... If you remember, so Luke 4 is when uh, Luke records Jesus announcing um, in Isaiah that I read earlier, you know, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord's on me, the blind are going to see, the good news are going to have, uh, the, the poor are going to have the good news preached to them, and, and what else is going to happen? The captives are going to be set free. And then this is three chapters on in Luke's gospel, and there's a captive saying to Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus says, look around, the blind can see, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And, oh no, he doesn't mention the captives. He doesn't mention the captives. John's like, do you remember the captives? Jesus doesn't say it. Instead he says, blessed is the one who's not offended at me. So what that should teach us firstly is it's possible to be offended at God. And it's possible to say, why have you done this? And I think by drawing our attention to himself at this point, again, like I say, not by giving a list of reasons, but Jesus draws our attention to him. And so I want us to do that. I want us to look at the rest of this story of John and therefore see the goodness of Jesus in it. So here's how John's story finishes. He was murdered in prison. He never gets out of that prison. King Herod held a party at which his stepdaughter performed a dance that intoxicated him so much, he said to her, I'll give you anything you want. And she said, I want John's head on a plate. And because he was in a shame culture, uh, Herod, and there were all these guests around, he was like, oh, I better do that then. And so he did. So John's head was cut off. I wonder what Jesus felt like when that happened, when he heard that it had happened. You know, this is his cousin. So they've grown up together. They've grown up. And not just kind of, I don't know if you're close to your cousins or, or, or not. I don't feel particularly close to my cousins. But they're, you know, you just, they're people you just grow up with and you're together and you're like a team together. And you, you're with one another and you have memories and stories and all of these things. John and Jesus were definitely in that kind of a category. 
All of those memories come flooding back to Jesus when he hears John's dead. And, he, and, and, and like the high point of their time together, when, when John baptised Jesus, then the Father spoke and they were there together. What a moment to have shared with someone who's now dead. And the fact that probably their last words were this conversation, which, which has some ambivalence to it. Jesus, yeah, how did John die? What was he thinking in that moment? All of those things are swirling around. And then surely at this point as well, Jesus starts to think, it's not the only death that's going to come in this family. Surely he starts to think of his own death as well. And how instead of a swift sword, he was going to have the torture of crucifixion. And how instead of being hidden away in a prison cell, it was going to be naked and exposed to a whole city on a hill. And how instead of just kind of satisfying a foolish king's awkwardness, Jesus was going to be satisfying the wrath of God for the sins of billions and billions of people. And all of this must have kind of lurched into Jesus' gut in this moment as he realises this is what's coming. Matthew's gospel tells us how Jesus responds. It says, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew there. He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He just wants to get away. He just wants to mourn and pray. He just wants to speak again to his father about all of this that he's feeling and that he knows is coming. And instead, this crowd of people who just want to see things and want to be entertained, they see him and they follow him around. I don't know how you would be at that moment. Introvert or extrovert, you'd be like, go away. Leave me. But he heals their sick. And the next thing he does to that very same crowd is feed them all. Thousands of them. It's the scene of the feeding of the 5,000. And then he continues his journey to the cross. And because Jesus did that, because he didn't turn away, because he took our punishment, because he was, as Guy reminded us earlier, as declared by John the Baptist, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's how John's sins were taken away. Because Jesus died for him. And so the next thing that John heard after the swish of the executioner's sword was the roar of heaven's welcome that Jesus had won for him. And so he suddenly realized in that moment, oh, he has set me free. And this is why we are to stay faithful to him even when things don't go as we hoped. And we often think that the way he'll resolve it is in this life. And that may not be the case. There may be mysteries and miseries you live with until you die. But he is the only hope we have. And so I want to encourage you, when those hard moments come, speak to him and listen to his replies. Look around you to see his goodness and then look at Jesus. Think again on what he has done, what it means for you. These are deep conversations that we can have with our king because he's alive 
And he is victorious. And he loves us. And he will bring us to be with him as we're faithful to him. You might just, for some of you, you're in this zone already. And so I want to give you moments to kind of consider that. Admit what has hurt. What's been difficult. And just say, look, I need an experience of the love of God. And to ask him for that. And, and for other of us, you might just be like, well, God, you know, medium life at the moment. It's all right. But look, Jesus, help me see you more. Help me love you more. Help me trust you more.